You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. We are in Romans 12. Romans 12. And um, we have uh, been studying that now for the last, well, four weeks, five weeks, four weeks, right? Last four weeks, we're on week number five. And what we're uh, being challenged with is what does a life of worship look like? If we were to think about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, ultimately it's saying, look, in light of the mercies of God, in light of the gospel, in light of everything that God, God's done on your behalf, what is your reasonable worship? What does true worship look like? And this is what he's been telling us over the last uh, few weeks. The last two weeks, we've seen the will of God for the church, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, that he has uh, given each of you gifts uh, in order to that you might serve the body of Christ. There is great diversity in the church, which brings about great unity in the church. We are under Christ, and as such, we are we're gifted to be able to serve one another. And... Um, I've just been so encouraged, uh, even just some of the interactions I've had this week uh, of people saying, okay, I want to I wanna grow in the gift, how, uh, the gifting that God's given me. What do you see in my life, and how can, how can I serve? And, and uh, Pastor Michael was just mentioning me, uh, the, new, the email that went out this week, he had neglected to, to put down youth, all right? And uh, so if, you, if you're like, oh, there's, there's a need for your help in youth. Okay, so yeah, that one as well, right? So, um, but just continue to be, I want to just encourage you as we study this stuff, don't be like, okay, if I can just hold on for two weeks and then forget what I've just learned, then maybe I don't have to serve still. Okay, so like, like don't, like, it's like, let's, let's take the word and then let's be different from now till Christ returns. That's the goal. And as we think about the will of God, we've seen it for the church. Now this week, we're going to see the will of God for love. What is God's will for love? Now, like everything, as we've been learning uh, from Romans 12, everything that's good and true, Satan takes and twists. And this is no different of a topic, love. The world has taken love and twisted it to mean all kinds of things that God never intended it to mean. So what is love? How do we define love as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? What would you evaluate your love on this morning? If you were to kind of think through, okay, how am I doing in the category of love Day in and day out. Love towards those in the body of Christ. Love towards those who are not in the body of Christ. Love towards my family. How am I doing in that regard? Well, as we remember in Romans 12 too, how do we evaluate? Well, how does it line up with God's word? How does my love line up with God's word? God's word is the standard of truth. Just as you learned in the early ages, two plus two equals four, and all other answers are wrong, so it is with the Bible. When he defines love as this standard, every other answer is wrong. 
Anyone here desire to be loved? Okay, I see a couple hands, all right? And everybody else is sleeping. Okay, so everyone desires to be loved. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be, you know, top 10 most wanted FBI list, whatever, that you still desire to be loved. Every single person desires to be loved. It's in our DNA. And there's been a lot of crazy things done in the name of love, correct? I looked, I looked some of these up this week. Did you guys hear about this guy who stole the moon rocks? Okay, this was like, what, 20 years ago. There's an aspiring restaurant, or restaurant, astronaut who stole a piece of the moon for his girlfriend. And they asked him, the news asked him, why did you do this? He said, I did it for love. I did it because I wanted to be loved. I wanted someone to know that I literally cared about them that much and to have the symbol there to remind them of it. All right, $21 million worth of moon rocks. He did this for someone that he had met three weeks earlier who wasn't his wife. Um, do you think he found love? Uh, no, he did not. The girl he had done it for uh, ratted him out, and um, he was, he's now divorced. All right? So uh, that didn't turn out well. Went up spending 100 months in jail. In China, there was a man who bought 99 iPhones to make a heart display for an engagement proposal, right? All right, nine, like you're buying them, right? Like you're not, like the non-payment plan, it's like $1,000 per phone, 99 of them. I mean, that's a pretty rich proposal. Did it out in public and there's people like taking pictures and, and she said no. All right, a lot of crazy things done in the name of love. Everyone wants a fairy tale ending when it comes to love. I mean, Disney's only made billions of dollars off of that concept, right? And so too Hallmark movies that have the same plot line every single movie, right? And yet, apparently people keep watching them because they keep making them, right? Everybody wants that romantic ending, that happy ending. But we know in real life, Love is a lot more difficult than a Disney movie or a Hallmark movie. So how do we define what love truly is? Well, there's someone who has demonstrated true love, who literally has saved the day, who has saved you and I. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is love. And because he came, because he lived and died you and I can know love this morning. And so in light of the mercies that you and I have received, we are to love in a particular way. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we do, let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you so much for your love. Your love is perfect. And Lord, as we consider this morning the measurement of your love and how you and I, are, Lord, are you, sorry, Lord, as your people, how we are to love. God, we pray that you would lead us and guide us this morning. God, we, we pray that if there be any false love in us, if there be any hate in us, God, that we would be quick to repent this morning. God, as we're going to learn 
in this passage the kind of love that we are supposed to have cannot be fabricated in ourselves. The world can never know this kind of love. It can never imitate your kind of love. It is only through repentance, it is only through the gospel that we can find this kind of love. And so, Lord, we come with anticipation this morning as we look at your word. Lord, we, we, we pray, Lord, that you would help this preacher to communicate your word in a way that would bring you glory and honor. That, Lord, we would look more like you as a result of our study today than when we came in. For the glory of your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we all need a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. And uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, as I mentioned. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2 just to set the context, and then we're going to drop down to verses 9 through 11. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to drop down to verses 9 through 11. He says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's important, again, as I said, every, every time we're going through the book of Romans, or as we're going through these verses in Romans 12, we keep that context in mind. What Paul is telling us now is what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect in regards to love. And so we see in verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. This is what genuine love looks like. We, as we break down the text, we're going to see three different points here. First, genuine love must be examined in the light of the gospel. Genuine love must be examined in the light of the gospel. First of all, he states, let love be genuine. What does that tell you? That love can be false. That we can be fake in our love. Of course, we can think of many uh, obvious counterfeits in the world. But sadly, I believe we've all expressed less than genuine love in the churches we have attended, perhaps even here, right? At the end of the service, every week we say, you are loved. Is that a true statement? Can, can you say that as a result of coming here, you've experienced that? That, that, the, that, that, that there's genuine love happening amongst the believers here. Not just that lo- Jesus loves you, not just that God loves you and sent his son for you, but that you've experienced his love through his people. Now, people often struggle with love, except for one kind, which is what? Self-love. We're really good at that. But if, as, as the people of God, we must pursue genuine love. This verse here. He's talking about the opposite of being a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. And back in those days, 
If you were to be in a play, you were, you were, it was like they, they, you were to play the part of a hypocrite, okay? And what you would do is you put on this mask and you would play the role of whatever character for the play. In the church, sadly, I think a lot of times we put on the mask and we play the role of a hypocrite. That's not loving. To say one thing and do another is not loving. Sometimes our culture influences this. Sometimes as Canadians, we take great pride in being nice and be polite, right? And then walk out the door and stab you in the back, right? You know, we're nice to your face. We're really kind to you. And then we go and tell everybody about, oh, wow, what a piece of work that guy is, right? Did you know this? And did you know that? And we gossip and we, we tear down with our words. That's not loving, It doesn't matter what you did in front of the person if you're going and you have hate in your heart for them afterwards. Genuine love is just as it sounds, not playing the role of a hypocrite. And so if I'm in front of you and I tell you I love you, I carry that on through the week. I carry that on by praying for you throughout the week, being burdened for your burdens, Rejoicing in your joys, being involved in your life, sending you notes of encouragement, getting together with you for meals. That's genuine love. Not doing one thing one moment and then something different the next. John Murray talking about the difference between hypocritic love and true love. He says, if love is the sum of virtue and hypocrisy the epitome of vice, what a contradiction to bring these together. Yet there is such thing as pretense love, which was displayed in its vilest form in the betraying kiss of Judas. Right? When, when, in, when he's in the garden, I mean, I, 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 it's a shocking thing, is it not? That he greets Jesus with a kiss, and Jesus knows what's happening. He betrays him with a kiss. This should not be the way that we operate as the body of Christ. Sometimes you will hear people say, I love you, but I don't like you. You ever heard that? Like, what if God said that about you, right? I love you, John, but I don't like you. I mean, like, what kind of, would you, would you be like, oh, you know, God loves me. Like, you, you, like, how many question marks would you have at that point, right? That's to say, I love you, but I don't like you is a ridiculous statement. Yet it gets said how many times. Again, Boaz says, hypocrite was used in the Greek world of the actor who wore masks to betray the emotion of his character. Sincere Christians wear no masks. What you see should be what you get. And Paul says that others should see love. What about a love based on personal preferences? Is that biblical? Well, you really like these things and you, you, know, you, 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 you run in the same circles I do, so I love you. But those people over there, I don't really like them. Is that biblical love? How about preferential treatment? Loving some believers in the church but not others. Is that okay? Is it God's perfect and acceptable will for your life? How about loving someone for what you can get from them? Is that biblical? How do I know what love is? Is it feelings-based? 
I'm like, oh, I really have strong feelings for these people. I must be loved. It must be love. How important is it that as a believer that I am loving? Redemption, you and I will default to worldly thinking on these questions if we do not properly examine what love is based on what the Word of God says. Love must be examined in the light of the gospel. If not, you're just going to make it up. And you're going to say whatever is convenient at the moment to say that it is love. And so we must base it on the Word of God. Note that Paul doesn't exhort the Roman church to love. He already assumes that they know that. What he presses them in on is that their love must be genuine. Love must be examined in the light of the gospel. When Jesus walked this earth, he commanded that his followers would love. John 13, 34 and 35. Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Like the standard's not too high, right? Just as Jesus has loved them, now they are to love one another. Jesus' love is what? Perfect. That's the standard we're striving for. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So what does genuine love look like? This is what he's defining as we go through here. First, genuine love hates evil and loves what is good. If we're wondering what love would look like, it abhors what is evil. It's, it's kind of ironic, right? What is, what is love? It hates. In fact, the word, it hates exceedingly that which is evil. If someone is telling you to do something that is evil, that is not love. It's fake. It's not true. It doesn't take long to think of examples from the world of false love. How many people have been pressured into doing things that ought not to be done because if you loved me, you would do that? Of course, probably the first thing that comes to mind is sex outside of marriage. If you really love me, then, you know, we would do this. Not true. That's false love. That's, that has nothing to do with what God's Word says. In fact, it's wicked. We ought to hate the very idea of that. Because God does. Of course, there's other things that, especially as youth, you're you know, if, you're, if you were my friend, you would do this. If you, you want to be cool, you would do this. That's not loving. We must hate that which is evil. Again, it says hate exceedingly. Would that, does that describe how you think about evil? That you hate it exceedingly? Like when you look back on your past, sins of the past, do you look at it and you just want to throw up? You hate it so much? You're just like, Lord, never, ever, please, by your mercy, by your grace, would I ever go back to that vomit? I don't want to ever go back to that. In your present state, when you consider the evil temptations around you, do you hate that you're even contemplating it, that it's even entered your mind, 
Do you hate it exceedingly? As you look to your future and you're planning, do you hate any idea that you would stray from the word of God? We're to hate it exceedingly. Instead of what I've often seen in the church and even in my own life, of I'm being honest, how close can I get to that edge? How close? Is this still okay? Am I, am I, am I, am I, am I in evil yet? I just, you know, I just want to get close to it. I don't want to really dive into it, but just a little bit evil. Is that okay? Of course, we wouldn't call it evil. We know better than that, you know, just, just a little bit of worldliness. Well, that's okay. I'm a Christian. I can't say that either. Just a, just a little bit of my flesh. Well, no, no, I can't say that. I mean, but do you know what I'm talking about? Just getting as close to the line as possible. That's not love. It's not love for God, and it's not love for one another. Let's, let's think about ways that we could do that in the church. Well, I know I'm not supposed to be gossip, so, but I just really don't want to keep this to myself. I, I need to tell someone else. I know. I'll share it as a prayer request. That would be loving. No, we need to hate evil exceedingly. The believer should want nothing to do with evil. Schlatter says this, where there is love, evil is abhorred. Not merely lamented, not merely lamented, much less covered up, but hated. So it's active, right? Both, both verbs for, for hold fast and abhor, I mean, they're strong verbs. This isn't kind of some kind of passive, laissez-faire kind of thing. Like this is all in I hate it. And then holding fast to that which is good. Holding fast to that which is good. If we, again, if you remember, as you've been going through Romans with us, Romans 7, we know that in our flesh, if left to ourselves, we are going to do the thing we ought not to do. And so we need to hold fast. The picture is like clinging to, Right? I always think about like a, like a rock face, you know, thousands of feet down, like that kind of clinging, right? Like you're glued to it, glued to that which is good. The, the official definition is to hold fast, to be in close contact with, to stick or hold together, to resist separation. I, I must cling to that which is good, that which is in God's word. And this should be our daily habits. Not taking a day off or a week off or an hour off, but by the power of the Spirit, each and every day, I'm hating that which is evil and I am clinging, I'm holding fast to that which is good. That is what love looks like. Think of Jesus' love. He hated evil so much that he came to this earth to defeat it. He resisted evil with every temptation that came his way for his entire life. Every temptation he resisted. He lived in perfect goodness. In his relationships, he loved perfectly. When it came time, 
to lay down his life, he did so, so that he could defeat sin and death and Satan, all wickedness. This is love, true love, genuine love. Of course, we know that he rose again on the third day. After 40 days on this earth, he ascended into heaven. And our God who loves is coming back again someday soon. And in his love, he is continuing holding out the gospel all over the world, even today, that enemies of his might be saved. People who right now are shaking their fist at him, they want nothing to do with him, they hate him exceedingly. Instead of loving good, they love evil, and they hate good, they hate God, and yet he died for them, and he holds out the gospel to them, and he will do this until he returns. As you know, many of you have been studying Revelation And in that last day, when the day of the Lord comes, there's going to be incredible devastation on that day. There's this picture where the birds of the air are called, come, come and feast on the flesh of all his enemies. And some people look at that and say, well, look, see, like right there, he's not a God of love. Look at that. Look at that. He's not a God of love. He destroyed those people. Osborne says this, how can a compassionate God do such a thing? Yet such a question forgets that Yahweh is at one and the same time a God of love and a holy God of justice. To ask the question is to ignore the devastating consequences of sin. We must remember the number of times in the, in the book of Revelation God has offered them forgiveness if they were to repent, yet they again and again refused God's offer and preferred to worship the very demons who hated them. They preferred the delusion to the truth. It is a holy God who must eradicate sin in order to inaugurate the perfect reality for which he created humankind in the first place. This is what love does. It hates evil exceedingly and clings to that which is good. God in his grace and mercy is holding out the truth today. That if you are a sinner and walking in rebellion to him, you can still be saved if you would repent today and place your trust in him. But love, true love, can't continue on with evil. And so one day, evil will be removed. And he wants you and I as his people to love in this way. Holy love. You're like, well, what, what, what does that look like? Read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at how Jesus treated the people around him. Look at his priorities on a daily basis. This is love. Everything else is a counterfeit, including your feelings. Anybody think that feelings should not be trusted? Anyone? They should not be trusted. Can I just state the obvious? Feelings are great, and as we're going to see in just a few moments, they can be used for good, but they are not the leader, right? The Word of God leads, and then 
feelings submit to him. So let genuine love, true love, be examined in light of the gospel. Secondly, let genuine love be expressed in light of the gospel. Let genuine love be expressed in light of the gospel. He says in verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Having objectively defined what genuine love is, he now challenges the believer to express that love in light of the gospel. It's not just to know the facts, well, this is right and this is wrong. Now it is to be lived out amongst one another. He's going to be talking about love towards outsiders in a bit, but uh, as we continue on in Romans 12, but right now he's talking about love within the family of God. Twice in, these, in this, this first sentence here, there are terms that are familial. At the end there, brotherly affection, it is the word Philadelphia. It highlights love for one's siblings, whether your literal family or now in the family of God. You and I are now brothers and sisters in Christ if you are in Christ, Right? You're now part of the family of God. That's how it works. Just as you didn't get to choose your brothers and sisters when you were born onto this earth, you don't get to choose who's in the body of Christ, except by this, evangelism. Okay, that's your impact. And then we trust the Lord to open hearts and minds to his truth, right? And then if they say yes, they're a brother and sister in Christ. That's how it works. And then this word for love one another has the same root of philo again, And it is a way, uh, sorry, loving in a way characteristic of the relationship between a husband and wife or a mother and child or a father and son. It is to be warmly devoted. It is to be very affectionate, to be loving. This is how we ought to operate with one another. In the past couple of weeks, Paul's talked about the fact that you are part of the body of Christ, Right? Some of, our, some of you are hands, some of you are feet, some of you are, you get the analogy, kidneys, whatever, okay? We're all, we all have a part in the body of Christ. Now he's saying, not only are you in that way, uh, a part of the body of Christ, but now let me give it to you in a different way. You are part of a family. We all have the same father, right? We all have the same father, and as his children, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we ought to have love for one another. This love should be the overflow of God's love for us. That's why I'm saying expressed in light of the gospel. This isn't something we just kind of make up. We love as we have been loved. First Thessalonians 4, 9 says this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Love as you have been loved by God. Stop and think about that. How have you been loved? So this love is demonstrated by being devoted to one another, by being affectionate to one another. I still remember just this highlighted in my life. It was back in um, 1999. I was in Africa, and I, I just got to Zambia. Uh, I've been there maybe a week, and I was surrounded by a bunch of Zambian students, right? 
18 to 22 years old and in, in Bible school, and I was overseeing the Bible school for a couple months while there's some staff back in the United States having a bit of a furlough. And so I was just there and, and, and running the school, and I got a phone call. And I found out on that phone call that my grandma had died, someone that I loved very much. And I'd asked the Lord that maybe I would just get to see her one more time before she went to be with him. But that wasn't his plan. And I remember coming out, and I was just devastated. And, and uh, the students were there. And I just remember this one guy, who just said, Brother, we know you don't know us very well. But we love you, and we're here for you. These guys were strangers just days before. But because the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, they, it was just as if I'd known them all my life, and they, 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 they were such comfort for me, such encouragement to me. What a picture that is for what should be going on here every day. Look around. Like, no, seriously, look around. Do, do you love these people? Do you love them? Like, do you really love them? When you look around, does your heart just, like, I just, I care so much about these people. They are my brothers and sisters. When they're hurting, I'm hurting. And so I'm, I, I, I want to do whatever I can for them. This is what love does. 1 John 3.10 says this, By this it is evidence who the children of God are and who are the children of, devil, of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so let us consider how we can love one another. Do you spend time during your work week thinking about this? Again, love is the byproduct of our love for God. As we think about being living sacrifices, that is to be lived out in our love for one another. Sometimes we, we think about being a sacrifice, we think about a martyrdom, right? Like, okay, yeah, I would lay down my life for my brothers and sisters. You know, like if, if somebody came in here with a gun, I'd be like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll jump in front of the bullet for them. Like, you know, that's what I would do. But, but for most of us, that may never be the case. Like, that's a great way to grow, go out, right? In glory, like, okay, amen, like, that was awesome, right? I'm in heaven now, right? That would be cool. But, but oftentimes, it's like one little thing at a time. That's how we sacrifice. It's things like this. It's making a meal for a brother or sister who's sick because you love them. And you know it's a hardship to just get some food in front of everybody. Taking your day off to help someone move. That's loving one another. Going to small group after a long, tiring day at work so that you might spur one another on. Getting up in the dark, in the cold, and going and setting up chairs and curtains so that your brothers and sisters might worship in a distraction-free environment. That's love. Taking your Saturday night to prepare a lesson so that a four-year-old might know the truths of, the God, of God's word. That's love. 
calling a brother or sister who's hurting when your favorite team is on. That's love. Each and every day we have opportunity to show one another love. And I want you to be thinking about that this morning. How can I do better? How can I do what God would call me to do? And he says this, outdo one another in showing honor. This sentence is a little bit more difficult to, to translate. There's two different thoughts here. Some people think that this is, just as it says here, that we should, we should outdo each other in bestowing honor on each other, like there's like a competition going on, all right? How, how, do, I, how do I outdo my brothers and sisters in showing honor? And as you can see, the ESV, like that's, like, that's how we think it should be translated. Other others people think it's more like Philippians 2, where you consider others as more important than yourself, more significant than yourself. And we see that in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. All right? And I think ultimately it's kind of both and. If I was to be pushed, I think that ESV has translated it well. But to show honor starts with what? Me thinking you of you as more significant than myself. If I don't do that, what happens? I sit back and wait for you to honor me, right? Like, I am pretty amazing. You guys see that, right? Like, I'm sure someone's going to tell me soon about how great I am. No, that's not how it works in the body of Christ, right? We are low before him. We are what we are through his grace. If there's anything good in us, then we say, praise the Lord. Now, what I've just said sometimes, I think, results in us thinking that we don't need to obey this commandment, to show honor to one another. To show honor is to what? It's to show appreciation for what others are doing. It's to encourage them and say, Lord, thank you so much for using the gifts that God has given you for the glory of God. But we're like, okay, wait a minute, but we got to... We got to keep people down. You know, we don't want them to get all prideful, right? Like, there's a lot of churches out there that they think that's the job of the congregation towards the pastor, right? We got to keep him humble. So we got to keep telling him all the things he's doing wrong so he won't get puffed up, right? Like, those are great churches to pastor, right? A lot of of guys are really encouraged every week, right? Now, Praise God, that's not the story here. You guys are super encouraging. And I'm so moved by your love towards me and showing honor and appreciation. But we need to be having a competition in this regard. We ought to be recognizing how important it is that we are serving the Lord, and we should be encouraging that in one another. I'm so encouraged. A brother just told me this morning that he just showed up for, for set up this morning. I, I, I don't know, Matthew, you must have been a little surprised to see a new face here, right? He's like, yeah, I just thought I should apply last week's message, right? Like, how awesome is that? Can I just encourage you, brother? That was a great thing that you did. When you go pick up your kids, thanks so much for serving. 
Like, I know it is a big sacrifice to do what you just did today. Do we have a reputation for that? To be quick to show honor to one another? We ought to. We, we, we ought to have a little competition. I don't know what your competition is like. Okay, Brent, I'm going to try to show honor to five people this week. You know, what, what's your number? I don't know. I mean, I just, but there's this idea where you're trying to outdo one another in the sense of not in fake hypocrisy, not in like, you know, whatever, but in like genuine love and concern. I like what Boaz says, looking out for number one may be a modern mantra, but it was in the, written in the Garden of Eden. Right? Looking out for number one. We don't do that. We look out and we, we say, God, thank you for my brothers and sisters. How can I spur them on? How can I encourage them? MacArthur says this, to honor is not to flatter. To give hypocritical praise in hope of having the compliment returned or of gaining favor with one honored. Again, the very opposite is in mind. To honor is to show genuine appreciation and admiration for one another in the family of God. We are to be quick to show respect, to give, no, to give quick, or sorry, quick to acknowledge the accomplishments of others, quick to demonstrate genuine love by not being jealous or envious, which have no part in love. And so we show genuine appreciation for the way that people are serving around us. We want to encourage that and spur that on, that we might see it more and more. And so may God give us eyes to see And may it be the overflow of our tongues to give encouragement and praise as it ought to be. This is what genuine love does. We are the family of God. And so let us spur one another on in that regard. And then genuine love must be experienced in light of the gospel. It should be experienced in light of the gospel. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. These statements are a unit. They go together. First, we're reminded to not be lazy in our zeal. Do you ever get tired? Anyone here ever get tired? Okay, a few hands, all right? Everyone gets tired. In our flesh, we can get tired. We can love half-heartedly. We can get lazy in our love. Husbands and wives, is that possible that you could get lazy in your love towards one another? Yes, it's possible. Yes, sadly, it happens way too often. We need to ask for help in that regard, as we're going to see in just a moment. But the command is here first. Do not be lazy in your zeal. Zeal here is eagerness. It's excited fervor to do something or accomplish some end with the implication of readiness to expend energy and effort, right? It stirs me up. It gets me ready to go. That's what zeal does. So that I might complete the task. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. Let us do good to everyone. Let us be stirred up. Let us be zealous. Let us make every effort to do so. Can we just state the obvious? Love takes effort. It takes effort. I have to be intentional about it. 
I have to be persistent in it. I have to endure in it. And if we are not zealous, we will become lazy. We'll start putting off things that should be done today till tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I love what it says there in Galatians 6.10. So then as we have opportunity, you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know if you have another week. You don't know if you have another month. So let us be zealous now while we have time. So how are we to do this? Be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. In your flesh, you cannot get riled up enough, right? You, if, in yourself, you will, you will fail. But be fervent in spirit. The, the word for fervent here, it means to be inflamed, to boil to, to be emotionally inflamed. It's conceived as a water boiling or a candle burning, right? That's the imagery here. So this is, we're supposed to be this way in our spirit, but how does this happen? Well, I believe it's by the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of debate. Is he talking about the Holy Spirit here? Or is he talking about the Spirit here? And I think the answer is yes. I think I agree with what Schreiner says. Believers are to burn and seethe in their spirits, but the means by which this is done is the power of the Holy Spirit. How can you and I generate that? We can't. It needs to be done by the Holy Spirit. A reference to the Holy Spirit is also suggested by the image of boiling, for the Holy Spirit is often associated with fire. We need the Spirit's power in order to do the things that he's asking us to do, to be zealous to do the things that we ought to do. And the Spirit of God is faithful, is he not? Some great football games last week. I don't know if you guys are into football or not. But oftentimes, when, you know, big games and stuff like that, you'll see the coach come in, right, before the game, and he, he gives this impassioned speech, right, to get everybody fired up and emotional to what? To accomplish the task. And so the Spirit does in our hearts. It gets us fired up about the thing that we ought to be doing, to be zealous so that we would put the effort into doing the things we ought to do. What is it that we ought to do? Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Over the centuries, sometimes this zeal of like, you know, like, I'm so excited, you know. It's just like this Sunday morning thing, like people are on the aisles, like flopping around, like, oh, you know, we were so filled with the Spirit. Is that what that is? Serve the Lord. That's the end result of being filled with an emotion, being filled with a zeal. It is to serve the Lord. And how do we do that? By loving by loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then loving our neighbor as ourselves. Practical commitment to the Lord Jesus. That's the end result of being stirred by the Spirit. This is only, only experienced in light of the gospel. If you want true love, it is only in light of the gospel. It's the means in which, by which you and I are able to love, and it's the means by which we are able to receive love. 
The world is going to continually try to fabricate it from now until eternity, until the eternity begins in full when Christ returns. But it is fake. It is a counterfeit. And it will leave you feeling empty every time. True love is experienced only in light of the gospel. And we do all this because it is, as we said in Romans 12, 2, or Romans 12, 1, because it is our reasonable worship. I love what J.C. Ryle says about zeal here. Zeal is a burning desire to please God. Is that your heart this morning? To please God? To do his will? To advance his glory in the world in every possible way? He goes on to say, a zealous man is preeminently a man of one thing. He is more than earnest, hearty, uncompromising, wholehearted, and fervent in spirit. He sees only one thing, cares about one thing, lives for one thing, swallowed up, swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or dies, has health or has sickness, whether he is rich or poor, pleases people or gives offense, whether he is thought wise or foolish, gets the blame or the praise, whether he receives honor is given or given shame for all this, the zealous person cares nothing at all. They have a passion for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance his glory. And if they are consumed to the very, very burning of their passion for God, they don't care. They are content. They feel that like a candle, they were made only to burn. And if they are consumed in the burning, then they have done the work that God has, has appointed them to. Such a person will always find a sphere for their zeal. And so let us be zealous in our love for one another. Let us be stirred up. Let us examine love in the light of God's word. Is what I am about to do, is it truly loving? I can only know that by knowing his word, by hating that which is evil and loving that which is good, as it is expressed in this body by outdoing one another and showing honor and being devoted in love and care, being warmly affectionate to one another. This is what God calls us to do as the body of Christ. And do you think that that might have an impact on a lost and dying world? If they were to see us doing what God has called us to do, this is God's will for you and I this morning. This morning, do you know this love? Love as you have been loved. 1 John 4, 9 through 11 says this, and this is the love of God and so in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sons. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. May it be so. Let me pray. Lord God, forgive us for where we have fallen short. Lord, when we have loved self more than you or your people, 
God, would you change that? Lord, would you help us to love truly? Would you help us to love in the same way that we have been loved? Lord, we thank you that that's possible this morning. Lord, this isn't just some, some, some fantasy. Lord, this is, this is what is possible for the people of God. Lord, you have changed us. You've made us new creations. Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us to do all that you ask us to do. Lord, I pray that your word would be the measurement of our love each and every day. Lord, if we are, have been doing things in the name of love that are wicked, Lord, bring repentance today. Lord, we want to love as you have loved us. Lord, we want to love in holiness. Lord, we want to love in devotion to one another, to truly care for one another, not not putting on masks and and being nice or kind only to, to be different later. Lord, help our love to be genuine. Lord, help us to to be honoring and encouraging to one another. Lord, help us to be passionate in our love for one another. Lord, would your spirit enable us, Lord, that we might serve you well for your glory, for your honor. Lord, you are worthy. And Lord, this morning, Lord, if there's anyone watching online or anyone here today who, or they've never repented of their sins, They've never experienced your love because, Lord, they are still enemies of yours. Lord, would you cause them to repent even this morning? Repent of their sin and place their trust in you and experience true love for the first time. God, we long for that for them. Lord, would you do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.